Welcome to the Kelly Mental Health Podcast. I'm Linda Kelly, CEO of Kelly Mental Health in Thunder Bay. This podcast is about understanding our experiences in life through the lens of mental health and learning how to cope more effectively. Today on the podcast, I am interviewing Kristen Solman, a psychotherapist from KMH, about how parents can deal with the anxiety and stress related to sending their kids back to school. Kristen shares valuable mental health tips on coaching our children, learning how to validate what they're going through by knowing the right things to say, and understanding how to meet their needs by learning more about who they are as individuals. This is about dropping the guilt and doing what's best for everyone. For tips like these and more, follow us on your favorite podcast app and give us a share so that we can reach more people and continue with our mission of empowering people through effective mental health knowledge. Coming to you from Thunder Bay, I'm Linda Kelly. Stay tuned. All right. Welcome to the Kelly Mental Health Podcast. I'm Linda Kelly, and I'm here with Kristen Solman. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Hey, thank you for joining me. Uh, we've had so, so many questions this week about uh, how to handle children returning to classes. I bet this has probably come up for you as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, actually, I was listening to the podcast last week, and, um, you know, I was just thinking about, like, you know, it's affecting a number of people, you know, whether it's families or children, teachers, I mean, everyone's having different kinds of experiences. Absolutely. And with parents, a lot of parents have been home with their kids for nearly five months, if not longer. Uh, what do you think some parents are going through right now in terms of uh, mental health um, symptoms that you might see? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, having the kids home since March, there's a, a basket of different kinds of, um, you know, struggles and, and really nice moments too, you know, spending that time with, with your children uh, than maybe where you wouldn't normally be doing that. Um, but I think, you know, there is some feelings of uh, anxiousness or fear, just uncertain about kind of things, maybe some stress. Um, but I think there's also a lot of excitement and hopefulness, you know, that uh, kids are going back to school. And, um, you know, some parents are, um, you know, not so uh, anxious about uh, separating from their child. Some are pushing them out the door like, oh, yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, and so I think there's a whole basket of different experiences and they're all valid and they're all, um, you know, genuine and real. And um, so, yeah, it's kind of hard to talk about this topic because, you know, there are so many different things that are happening um, right now and, and for families and, and children and parents and teachers. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. And with the anxiety with some parents sending their children off, you know, from, from at least from the parents' point of view, would you say that? there's a good reason to be anxious at this point? Like, is that a, something you could validate? Yeah, I mean, if parents are experiencing anxiety um, right now, that that's a valid feeling and emotion, you know. Um, it is a, there's been a lot of change. There's a lot of things that are uncertain. And, um, you know, I think there is some hope there as well that, um, you know, even though there is some change, there's some steps in place that, um, you know, that, that, that children are going to be taken care of, they're going to be looked after. And, um, you know, if things do pop up, and they're, they're, they're not, um, you know, we have supports. And um, I think that's, that's pretty important. Mm -hmm. What kind of supports would you recommend for parents at this point? 
Yeah. So I know that um, you kind of were saying in your podcast uh, last week around validate, listen and support and, and we can get support from a number of places, right? By opening communication with, um, within our families and talking to children and talking to our partners, um, you know, uh, other family members um, who have children going to school, you know, um, you know, whether that's opening communication with teachers. I know that some of the teachers were calling around and, um, introducing themselves before the start of school. Um, if, if parents are working from home, you know, partnering up with someone else who maybe is working, um, like, the, I mean, not just working from home, but working with school from home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a number of parents who chose to keep, uh, you know, their kids at home for a number of reasons. Um, and so kind of reaching out to those supports. And there's also, you know, formal supports, like uh, obviously like Kelly Mental Health and, and uh, some, some issues that are more stressful or, you know, they're not just like, I don't know, and on a stress level between zero and 10, they're not like a one, two, three, or four. They're more like your eight, nines, or tens that you might need a little additional support, um, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. I would really um, encourage parents to obviously seek that support uh, because of course, I I would imagine, and I I know this to be true, children really pick up from us what we're putting down. You know, they emulate our emotions. They're a lot more empathic than sometimes we we realize they are. So it's kind of goes back to not only setting a good example, but managing your own emotions. Yeah, I mean, um, for sure. Um, Knowing kind of, what you're feeling in a moment is really important and and what you're experiencing. Um, Sometimes parents blame themselves that they're not doing a good job or they have these expectations of what they should be doing. But I think part of the the conversation is just knowing um, how things are impacting you. And I know we talk about our cup of resources quite a bit here at Kelly Mental Health, right, that you can't pour from that empty cup. So you're really um, you know, are looking to find those opportunities for self-care and to fill up those resources so that you can pour um, from that cup into different areas. So whether that is, you know, supporting uh, your children, your family, um, maybe even the teachers in the school, you know, doing, doing what you can. Um, and uh, if you can't in a given day, that's okay too, right? Because sometimes um, you are low on resources, you know, most Parents aren't just parents, they have many different roles in life and um, they might be a, a boss, a coworker, um, a friend, uh, a partner, you know, they have many different um, things that, that require their attention and time. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely want to jump over to uh, talking about how we can support our children and some of the behaviors to expect. But one thing that did pop up recently uh, was it was called um, the Pinterest worthy homeschool setup. <laughs> <laughs> it was, and you see, there's a little bit of a trend on social media right now with these absolutely gorgeous looking homeschool setups. I mean, they've got the whiteboard, and and I've noticed it actually causing some anxiety and some unfair comparisons with some parents, like feeling uh, like they're not good enough, or maybe you know having to let their kid use a barely functioning computer just sitting at the kitchen table versus someone that has an entire room. So what are your, what are your thoughts about the comparisons? 
Yeah, it's hard. It's hard when you find yourself comparing uh, your situation to other people. Everyone is different. We all have different experiences and things that we're coping with, right? So it's great. Don't get me wrong. If you're one of those parents who has that wonderful setup, um, that could be really, really meaningful. But uh, you don't also always need all of that, right? Sometimes just connecting with your child is enough. You know, um, you know, you can be your child's best teacher in, in, in other um, ways without that school setup, right? Um, homeschooling is much different. Um, and so, uh, you know, having that one-on-one -on -one kind of time with your child um, helps build those strong connections. You know, it's fun, it's creative, um, and it really can promote positive behavior and cooperative attitudes. Um, so it's not just about like the physical environment, although you want, you want your child to still have that safe place to learn in, whether that's in a school or in your home. And so there are some things that, you know, um, you know, a child might need, um, whether it's uh, in a school environment or a home environment, some, some basic necessities. Um, but it's pretty cool to see that, you know, some people have all those setups, but, you know, education is, is sometimes more about um, the learning that kind of takes place or the interactions that, that happen. Mm -hmm, for sure. So some, some compare, comparing oneself to others is not going to be uh, really the sole defining, you know, characteristic of, you know, that influences the child's actual learning. You know, it's not, the setup is awesome and it's very fun to look at these pictures, but there's no reason to feel bad about it if you don't have the space or the equipment or, you know, the, the time or the energy or you just, that's not your thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and whether you're in, you know, a school environment or you're a parent teaching from home, um, that, you know, it's important to really get to know the, the child who's in front of you, right? Um, so every child has their own personality, their own needs, their own wants uh, and situations. And all kids, you know, um, they don't need or want the same things. They don't learn in the same sort of ways. So um, that fancy setup could be um, really appropriate for some kids, but maybe not for others who maybe want to be learning through play or through interactions. Um, but you really get to know, like, whether you're a parent or a teacher, that, that child in front of you, that person who's in front of you, um, help meet their needs, um, you know, can really help identify whether they need like additional supports, um, whether you, you know, you know, might need to buddy up with someone um, or to access other kind of support for that child. But, you know, just consider like, you know, what environment does that child thrive in? Um, what makes them, you know, angry? How do they learn best? Like these are all kinds of questions to kind of consider no matter what environment that Mm -hmm. So really taking this as an opportunity to try to create an individualized approach based on uh, that, who that child is. Mm -hmm. And I'm not an expert, you know. Yeah. I have a master's in psychology and a minor in family and child studies and I'm a parent and um, I mean, of course we work with many families at Kelly Mental Health but um, yeah everyone seems to be individual and have different kinds of needs. Mm -hmm. So I just want to jump over to obviously the the well-being of the children because obviously we do work with a lot of parents mostly uh, and parents are going to come with a lot of these questions you know how do I support my child who now is experiencing separation anxiety uh, that's now been almost quadrupled in intensity because they've been home with me for five months and now I have to send them into a place where things are uncertain people are afraid of making mistakes 
What are your thoughts about the separation anxiety that's going to come up now? Yeah, I, I think for, for some kids, there will be separation anxiety, but for others, there will be. Um, and, and for those kids that are experiencing that separation anxiety, um, it, it really can help like to like for a parent to um, like, it's kind of strange, but be outside of their own child, right? That they can prepare them for um, these situations when they're not together. Um, you know, I know you talked uh, about the invisible string, for example, um, all of those kinds of activities are really symbolic and they're really meaningful. Um, and another way of kind of applying that idea is like a parent also having, you know, their own lives um, outside of their child or outside of their role as a parent, right? So, um, you know, kids are super important, but you need your life too. And you need your time as an adult. You need adult conversations and interactions. And that really, like when a child sees that, they, they realize it's okay. It's okay that we're not always, you know, together. Um, that those heartstrings are still attached. Um, but a parent, you know, they need more. They need friendships and hobbies and interests. And, and that normalizes that for their child, right? Because then they see that, um, they look to them as, you know, a role model and think, oh yeah, I need those things too. Time where I can play with my friends and develop my interests and, and, and hobbies. You know, it, it sometimes does take a village to raise children and some of that is that separation. Um, that, that's an interesting perspective. And I really appreciate you saying that because I think a lot of times, uh, we feel so much pressure to just be everything for our children, uh, to, you know, entertain them at all times, to sort of make sure that they're kept happy as opposed to, you know, living life with them along for the ride. <laughs> you know, it's so much more about being there for them. And so that can obviously cause problems if it's too much. You're, what you're saying is that you can role model healthy boundaries, healthy separation, and a better quality of life by doing it yourself. Yeah, for sure. And if a child is experiencing separation anxiety, like you were saying, really validate those feelings. You know, um, you know, some kids, you know, they need a little support around that. Like, um, you know, a parent might be really helpful in teaching them about feelings and emotions. Or, um, you might ask, you know, a child to put some words to how they're feeling. You know, because um, they they might not they might not have the words or might not know how to name it or label it. Um, you know, you can really kind of validate what they're saying. Um, I know that like um, Gottman has a few kind of words about how to emotionally support children, and you know, it's it's like by saying things like it's going to be okay or that does suck or I'm sorry that's happening to you right now. Understand how you might feel that way. Um, all of these things are really kind of validating, um, you know, statements. Um, you know, sometimes as parents, though, we, we fall into some traps, right? I don't know. Um, like we sometimes um, say things that invalidate um, children. So what I mean by that is like, um, you know, like it'll be okay, or it's not that bad, or just get over it. Like those are really kind of invalidating for children to hear, especially if they're feeling like really anxious about, you know, maybe going to school or being away from, from you. Um, so I, I'd be kind of cautious around uh, those kinds of things. 
But the other, the other trap that happens um, is that um, we invalidate through our actions sometimes, right? So if a child is crying um, and is upset about being away from their parent, um, it, it's hard because, you know, um, we also might want to, you know, distract that child from what they're feeling and be like, hey, there's, there's treats, there's goodies, there's friends here. Like, Here's this toy, right? But that actually is, is sometimes invalidating for the child, right? Because they are feeling upset, they are crying. And, and sometimes it takes those moments where you're not just, okay, I'm not gonna just gonna drop you off or you know, what have you, that um, you spend that time, you, you, know, you make that bus, that bus driver wait um, to say, hey, like I know this is, or ask that child, is this scary for you? I mean, you would, you would ask that question. Um, but really kind of validate um, that they're upset and, and, and asking some questions about that. And, and that alone will just have that child be like, take that breath and get on the bus. <laughs> or or, or if, it's a, if it's a drop off at school or, you know, what have you. Right. So one of the things I, I hear you saying too is that you're validating the emotions. Uh, some parents might be afraid of almost opening those floodgates, almost like they don't want to encourage you to feel worse. So then, oh no, don't cry, don't cry, it's fine. You're fine, you're going to be fine. Um, but then on the opposite end, uh, sometimes it can be so heartbreaking to watch your five or six-year-old just devastated to watch you go. And so, you know, some parents might really be compelled to say, okay, you know, let's just skip the day, you can stay home. So what are your thoughts about that, about kind of going in that direction? Is, is that too validating? Does that reinforce uh, or create a bad pattern? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard that, you know, uh, to validate even negative emotions, right? So if your child is crying or if they're angry or they're frustrated or, you know, whatever the, the, the negative feeling or emotion, it's sometimes hard to validate that, um, you know, because we want our children to be happy and to be well-behaved and to, you know, treat their friend kindly or, you know, not throw tantrums. Um, so we want to reward that behavior and give that behavior attention. But what we find is actually if we try to kind of, um, you know, not validate those feelings for what they are is that the child actually does it more. Oh. <laughs> they do it more and they'll cry more and they'll, or they'll turn in, in, internally. They stop kind of sharing what they're feeling or they'll try to do it themselves. Um, you know, and um, sometimes, uh, you know, anyone, you know, we need support and we need help to do these things and, and process our feelings, emotions, um, especially when feeling overwhelmed. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to validate negative emotions, but they're so important because that's part of it. Mm -hmm. I, I just, it reminds me of this um, moment with my son where he, I had him sitting at the kitchen table because of course he, he was saying or doing something that was real bad attitude. And he just said, I'm so mad. And I said, that's okay. You can be mad. And he goes, Oh, <laughs> and he just deflated. And I thought that was so funny because, you know, when you're young, sometimes you, you may equate being mad with being bad. Like I'm mad and I'm going to throw things like it. The two things are one and the same. But what I had done in that moment, not even realizing I was doing it, was saying, it's okay to feel that way. It's, it's normal to feel that way. It's what you do with that feeling that's going to matter. And yeah. yeah, and I'm also not saying that you should have a laissez-faire attitude about it, right? That 
um, it's important that if there is inappropriate behavior, for example, that, that um, you're validating the feeling, but then you're following it up. So you're following it up with um, you know, helping the child to problem solve, to um, name that feeling and emotion, to problem solve, to um, maybe set limits or boundaries. Um, because if we're accepting all behavior, um, that that's not always going to be, um, you know, successful or healthy for the child. Um, so it's, it's also within reason. So validate the feeling and emotion, but then what comes next? Mm -hmm. Right, because it, it, by validating the feeling, it can take the intensity away from what they're feeling. It can sort of uh, create that release for them. And even crying itself, it is a release. It's a, it's a relief to let some of that pressure out. But then it comes down to, okay, let's set these boundaries. Let's enforce. Let's, how do we do this thing we have to do? Not whether or not we're going to do it, but how. <laughs> um, right. One of the other things that you mentioned too, um, and, and that has been a really, really big question for a lot of parents is there are a lot of kids with special needs, mm -hmm. kids uh, on, on the autism spectrum, um, kids that really need routine. What kinds of things do you expect to come up now for kids that are now learning from home or having to go to this modified school uh, while also struggling with some disabilities? Yeah, I think whether you're a teacher or a parent, you know, it's really important also to keep in mind, um, yeah, not just what the kid needs, but also like developmental stages, right? That every child is unique um, and they may be at different developmental stages, even if they're the same age. Um, and so what may be appropriate for one, I mean, my daughter's six, so one six-year-old uh, may not be appropriate for another six-year-old. And so kind of really getting to know that child can really help kind of um, unravel the risk mystery, but also learning about um, what's appropriate um, for developmental stages. But I say that, but then like you're saying, so if you have a learning disability, um, you may not, um, you know, uh, have the same developmental stages in mind as, um, you know, your other child, for example, right? Or if, if someone's coping with, uh, you know, autism or fetal alcohol is on the fetal alcohol spectrum, you know, there are special kinds of needs there, but also um, they may be on a different developmental track. Um, and so um, it's, it's good to keep in mind that there are certain like um, milestones or transitions that um, every child will experience um, maybe in different ways. Um, so understanding that like that there are specific needs and developments can also really kind of help you to respond in a way that's, you know, not reactive, but like um, responsive and appropriate and, and supportive. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the questions that I was asked early on when COVID began was by um, a mom of three children and one of whom is on the spectrum. And she said, she was having so much trouble because the the one child had such specialized needs and really was you know off of their routine and so you know in order to mitigate any risk they had to be on it and so then the other ones were sort of neglected or at least in their opinion they felt they were neglecting those kids and so uh, i'm curious you know what would you say how would you frame that or how would you respond to that for a parent really struggling with that guilt 
yeah, that, that's difficult, you know, and that's a situation where you might need some more support, right? If you feel that um, you're spending your time attention with one child and not the other, um, you know, it's, it's, it's too hard to live with those feelings of guilt. And so um, maybe it's um, in, including some other people in, in part of that um, you know, working from home kind of plan, um, switching roles so that, you know, you're, you're not just the one, uh, one teacher of, uh, of each child. Um, but, you know, finding what works, finding what works for that family, right? Um, really being, uh, you know, flexible as a parent sometimes helps too, because while a child really thrives on that certain routine or structure, um, you know, it, it can help to have um, not just a few eggs in that basket. Mm -hmm. That's just so difficult and it gets so chaotic and complex. And then, of course, if you throw in the expectations of the curriculum, uh, I I definitely have told some people, please relax your expectations this year because this is not normal. This is uh, very much, I think, everyone just trying to adapt as best we can. And in order to adapt and be flexible, we need to be calm. Yeah, I mean, doing the best that you can, right? Um, teachers, uh, teachers, parents are taking on um, roles of teaching their children when they normally wouldn't be doing that. Um, so to compare them to a teacher who's in a classroom setting who has the training, um, you know, is an unfair comparison um, sometimes. It is. And of course, you probably could speak to a little bit about even just uh, the ability of a parent to actually be a teacher to their child. I know that when I try to teach my son, it's like I'm on mute. There's something about and, and this is right since he was two or three years old. If I try to explain something to him, nope, he doesn't. He's got to figure it out himself. But other people, particularly men with like an authoritative voice, he will listen to. And so that that's another tough one right trying to be a teacher essentially when you're not used to that role yeah and so then you know in those situations then how how effective is 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 is, is that you know arrangement then right and and needing to kind of um kind of work with what the family needs right mm -hmm. yeah i totally get it yes <laughs> kids <laughs> kids will listen to you know sometimes one parent and not another and <laughs> yeah yeah they figure out what works they're very smart so <laughs> so i really appreciate you coming and speaking to these issues i know they're really relevant for people right now and it is always a struggle uh any final thoughts or words of wisdom for parents that are listening <laughs> um sure kids will be kids right we have our best expectations hopes and plans and uh, sometimes not but kids will still be kids right um, they really thrive on play and having fun. And so, you know, if you're finding that you don't, it's just not working, sitting at the table, working on X, Y, and Z with your child, go outside, have fun, play a game, you know, really connect with your child, get down to their level. Because sometimes it's more about making those connections, right? That creativity, that fun that can be had, um, you know, uh, that's really meaningful. Um, and also, you know, really be kind, be nice, because if, the, if your child is at school and they take off that mask, you know, kids are immature, they make impulsive decisions, they, we see them as small adults, but they're not. Mm -hmm. um, so we want to treat kids like kids and, and um, be really um, forgiving and aware of, of those things, um, because it's likely to happen. <laughs> it sure is. Thank you so much, Kristen. Uh, we'll talk again soon.